T-minus 10, 9, ignition sequence starts. Coming to you from a small undisclosed outpost somewhere in Radioland, it's Because I Said So. Parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved for American parents. John Rosemond. People like this are a menace to decent society. Call in now about anything from toddlers to teens, even your 20-something toddlers who refuse to stop sucking on the pacifier of your standard of living. Let's not talk about it in front of the boy. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. From American Family Radio Network, here's your host, John Rosemond. Well, welcome to the show. It is called Because I Said So. And yes, I'm your host, John Rosemond. Our number is 404-419-6499. 404-419-6499. Journalists frequently ask me if I see any indication that what they refer to as the parenting pendulum is beginning to swing the other way. And by that, they mean is it beginning to swing back toward a more conservative, discipline-oriented style of parenting. First of all, I tell them there never has been a parenting pendulum. There's a right way to raise children, and there's a wrong way. And for more than 3,000 years, parents in Western civilization, which began with Abraham and Sarah, raised children the right way. Not every single one of them, of course, but most. The right way was according to God's instructions as found in his revelation and is specifically expressed in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, Proverbs 22, 6, and Ephesians 6, 4. During those 3,000 years, the so-called parenting pendulum never moved. It stayed in one place. Therefore, by definition, it was not a pendulum. It was a reliable constant, even during times of significant cultural change. The wrong way is according to man's own understandings. That's right out of Proverbs 3.5. Invariably, man's own understanding creates deceitful philosophies. That's Colossians 2.8. I maintain, as any regular listener knows, that psychology is a deceitful philosophy that depends on man's own understandings and not on Christ, the Word made flesh. Proof of that is found in the fact, and it is a fact. Remember, I am a psychologist by training and license, so you can take what I tell you about psychology to the bank. Proof that psychology is of man and not God is found in the fact that psychology is the most atheistic profession there is or ever has been. There is not more atheistic a profession than psychology. Every single one of psychology's superstars, beginning with Sigmund Freud and going on through Carl Jung, Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, B.F. Skinner, was an atheist. 
None of them believed that Jesus was God's one and only Son, sent by the Father to be a perfect and final sacrifice for our sinfulness. They believed in their own understandings. In the 1960s, at the urging of nearly the entire profession of psychology, as well as self-appointed cultural and media elites, America replaced truth with one lie after another. That's out of Romans 1.25, including lies about children and proper child-rearing. The idea that high self-esteem is a good thing is a lie. It's a virus that poisons relationships and eventually culture. The idea that behavior modification works on human beings is a Darwinian lie that has created huge discipline problems for America's parents. Sigmund Freud was a self-deluded liar. So was Maslow, Rogers, Skinner. And that's the short list. But the liars won, at least for the time being, and in the late 1960s, American parents began raising children according to the lies of a deceitful philosophy, the secular religion of psychology. This was not a swing of the pendulum, mind you. It was an overturning. It was an intellectual coup. This intellectual coup resulted in what I call postmodern psychological parenting. It's postmodern because there are no longer any childering standards, Pretty much everyone, the exceptions being a minority of Christian parents, pretty much everyone does their own child-rearing thing these days. There's no agreement, no consensus. It's child-rearing anarchy. The new parenting is psychological because it's informed by bogus psychological theory, theory that stands in sharp contrast, by the way, to biblical principles and understandings. And it's now called parenting, which makes it sound like a science or a technology. Postmodern psychological parenting. Parenting that lacks consensus as well as truth. Which is why, in a nutshell, today's parents, including lots of Christians who have drunk psychology's Kool-Aid, are having more difficulties with children than their great-grandparents could have imagined. Kids talking back, refusing to do what they're told, throwing tantrums long past toddlerhood, still wearing diapers at age four, refusing to eat what's put in front of them, and going to college and whining about such things as trigger words and microaggressions and safe places and things like that. Permanent infancy. That's what postmodern psychological parenting has wrought. As for the pendulum question... I'll rephrase it thus. Are American parents waking up to the wholesale duping? Are they beginning to realize that they need to shut their ears to the babbling that continues to come from the mental health community in America? Yes, I believe that more and more of them are doing exactly that. Most of these folks are Christians. Why is that? Because the right way is described in the Bible and Christians read and study the Bible. I happen to believe that a lot of Christians are waking up to the child-rearing lies and are doing their best to restore biblical child-rearing in their homes. I happen to believe that the only people who have a chance of getting it right again are Christians. Why? Because we possess the instructions we need in order to get it right again. So yes, I see a good amount of evidence that some people 
are beginning to get it right again. But I also see lots of evidence to the effect that the majority of people are not getting it right and probably are never going to. These folks are very likely to eventually fall prey to the testing, diagnosing, and medicating that is child psychology these days. And that is, by the way, folks, all you get from psychologists these days. Again, there are exceptions to everything I say, but I would say that at least 90% of the time you take a child to a psychologist, you get testing, diagnosing, and medicating. And this masquerades as help when it isn't help at all. It's just a big cover-up. As the end times approach, the gulf between right and wrong grows wider and wider and wider in every area of culture, including parenting. That's just the way it is, folks. That's just the way it is and is going to be in parenting and in everything else. The distinctions are going to become clearer and clearer until his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. This is John Rosemond. The program is called Because I Said So. Our number is 404-419-6499. 404-419-6499. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. This is your host, John Roseman, and the show once again is called Because I Said So. Our phone number, if you'd like to join the show with a question or a comment, and and we invite your feedback, is 404-419-6499. I'll say it again, 404-419-6499. And we do have a caller on the line with a question. Her name is Danielle, and she is from the great state of Iowa. Hello, Danielle. How can I help you? Hi. I have a question about my son, who is 11 years old, and um, he has been diagnosed with ADHD, ADD, and ODD. You know how those diagnoses go. Um And anyway, I'm having some issues with him. He's very disrespectful and rude and um, defiant about things. And he doesn't seem to um, respond to any consequences. And I have read your book before, The Parenting by the Book, and it seems like we're not able to get a consequence that's memorable enough for him to stop his behavior. So if you have any guidance on that? I hope so. Uh, but I need some more information from you to begin with, Danielle. Um, tell okay. me about, you, you said he's been diagnosed with ODD, which for our listeners' benefit is Oppositional Defiant Disorder. And that basically means that the child is disobedient yep. uh, and, and rather provocatively so. And then oh, he's yeah. been diagnosed with ADHD, mm-hmm. which defines 
impulsivity, short attention span, low tolerance for frustration and things like that. And then there's a, I believe you said a third diagnosis? Um, this the attention deficit disorder, the ADD. ADD and ODD. Okay. And, and he is 11 years old. Is he on medication? No, he hasn't been on medication for about three years. Um, he was on some for a couple of years, and like you say, it quits working. So um, we just follow a more restricted diet and do vitamins and supplements for him, and that is actually working way better than when he was on medication, but there's still, you know, issues. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that, that, that you've gone to a more holistic uh, approach to the problem. Um, and, and let me take this opportunity to do a somewhat self-promotional commercial here. Uh, I wrote a book, and I believe it was 2009, with a nationally known behavioral and developmental pediatrician, Dr. DuBose Ravenel from North Carolina. The book is called The Diseasing of America's Children. And in the book, Dr. Ravenel and I expose the bogus nature of the diagnosis of attention deficit disorder. And we touch upon, uh, but rather significantly so, oppositional defiant disorder as well explaining in very clear and scientific terms that these are not scientific diagnoses. They rest on no scientific foundation whatsoever. There is no evidence of uh, biochemical imbalances or brain differences, et cetera, et cetera, that these diagnoses could be attributed to. So I would recommend to the listener, and to you too, Danielle, if you're interested, yeah. uh, any listener out there who has a, a child about whom someone has said this child needs to be diagnosed like a teacher. Teachers do this all the time. You know, your child needs to be tested and put on medication. Um, I, I don't know how teachers are qualified to make these judgments, but but they apparently believe that they are in wholesale numbers. But I would recommend to any parent uh, who has a child about whom this has been suggested uh, to read the book, including you, Danielle. Again, the book is called The Diseasing of America's Children. And what Dr. Ravenel and I do is describe at the end of the book a treatment plan that he and I have worked out together that we have found to be very, very successful None of these medications have ever reliably outperformed placebos in double-blind clinical trials. And in fact, in some clinical trials, the placebo has outperformed the drug. We cover all that in the book. But tell me, Danielle, back to the issue of your son, what is the biggest consequence that you've used for the problems that, that you're having with him? Um. We have made him write 1,500 sentences on, like, for example, I will treat others with respect or something along those lines. We've had him do hard labor for, like, four hours. Um, my husband's had him shovel, like, gravel. He's had to pick up dog poop. Uh, like, he's been grounded from electronics or television, which he doesn't get to do a lot of that anyway. So, I mean, we've tried all avenues. He's been spanked before. 
it doesn't seem like anything really sticks with him. Okay, well, let me let me mention this to you and to all of our listeners, that you've been using consequences, and you've been using consequences that might have solved the problem with some other child. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some children are simply more, we call it strong-willed, stubborn, um, than others. And some kids need what I call nuclear consequences in their lives in order to to turn them around. But let me go further and say this, that consequences properly used, properly selected, work very reliably with animals, dogs in particular. But it is a Darwinian idea that behavior modification that the same principles that work with a dog also work with a human being. What parents need to accept is that you can use a, quote, proper, end quote, consequence, and you can use it, quote, properly, end quote, and the child will still persist in his misbehavior. This is the nature of human beings. Sometimes the need, the sinful need, on the part of a child to rebel against authority is more powerful than any consequence the authority figure uses. Consider this. People commit crimes. They are put in prison for long periods of time. They are confined to, what, six-by-six cells uh, for long periods of time. They get out of prison. They go right back to doing the same crimes that put them in prison in the first place. And my, my point is, if behavior modification worked on human beings, worked reliably on human beings, then no one would go to prison more than once. And parents need to accept this, Danielle. They need to accept that, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm doing the best I can, uh, and uh, the best I can do is not working, uh, what I need to accept is that some other authority, some other agency in my child's life at some future time may solve this problem for my child. Um, maybe he will find Christ as an adult. Maybe that will solve the problem. Maybe the military will solve the problem. Maybe the legal system will solve the problem or at least contain it. But I'm doing the best I can and the best I can isn't working. And so all I've got is to continue doing my best and to continue to pray for my child. I've got another book that I would recommend to you, Danielle. It's called The Well-Behaved Child Discipline That Really Works. And uh, in the book, I describe what I call kicking a child out of the Garden of Eden. <laughs> and by that, I mean the child's room, his environment is simply cleansed of any and all entertainment value. All of his toys, all of his playthings, all of his electronics, uh, CD player, DVD player, whatever he's got, cell phone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's all removed from his room and uh, put into storage 
somewhere outside the house, a, a U-Haul that is not a commercial, but a U-Haul storage closet somewhere, you know, miles away from the house that ensures he cannot get back to this stuff when, say, you and your husband leave the house temporarily. Um, and he is told this is the way you're going to live until you turn yourself around. There will be no after-school activities. There will be no sleepovers. There will be no birthday parties. You strip the child's life down to a bare minimum. Uh, you strip his room down to a military barracks environment. You strip his life down to bare minimum. And uh, I have even recommended on some occasions that the child not be taken on family vacations. Um, I have seen this work time and time and time again, but with some children, even an approach uh, of this significance and magnitude takes some time to work with some kids. I was uh, talking recently with a mother who told me that she used this approach with a young teenager concerning his disrespect, his disobedience, and his underachievement at school, and it was a year and a half before oh he word. finally, yeah, a year and a half before he finally came to his parents and said, okay, tell me once again, what do I have to do to get my stuff back? And uh, he's been fine since then. But it took a year and a half. And this is simply indication of how powerful the rebellious nature of a child is. And the fact that it can be very, very, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, you may have a child whose rebellious nature is two. Lucky you on a scale of one to 10. And it sounds like this is your case, Danielle. You may have a child whose rebellious nature is a 10. I'm sorry. I couldn't give you a knockdown. Uh, you know, this is going to solve the problem answer, but I think that uh, those two books will help you. Um, we'll continue to pray for you and your husband as you continue to uh, attempt to raise this child in a godly fashion. And by the way, if you'd like to call us in a couple of months with a progress report, uh, hopefully a good one, we'd certainly welcome the call and we'd put you back on the air. Uh, this is Because I Said So with your host, John Roseman. Our phone number is 404-419-6499. We'll be back in a minute with positively stupid parenting. Stay with us. From American Family Radio Network, it's Because I Said So. Now once again, here's your host, John Rosemond. Well, welcome back, folks. Um, you know, I was at a church recently in Anaheim, California. And uh, during a break in a seminar I was conducting there, a young lady came up to me at the book sales table, showed me a quote that she had pulled up on the screen of her smartphone. And um, I had her write it down for me, and, and uh, here's what it said. Thinking of your child as behaving badly disposes you to think of punishment. Thinking of your child as struggling to handle something difficult 
encourages you to help them through their distress. They shift shift from uh, singular to plural, I think, in order to be politically correct. So she asked me what I thought of it, and uh, I told her it reflected a secular humanist rather than a biblical worldview, and I told her it denied that the child's nature was, in fact, sinful. Later, I Googled it that evening back in my hotel, hoping to discover who had written it. I, I wasn't able to find definitive authorship, but in the course of my search, I ran across a website from the Positive Parenting people. Now, Positive Parenting is a parent education program that has been out there since the uh, uh, mid-1970s. In fact, in the mid-1970s, I went through a positive parenting seminar as part of my training to take over a uh, children's program in a mental health center. Anyway, um, I found this essay, uh, and it was titled Positive Discipline 101, How to Discipline a Child in a Way that Actually Works. And I thought it was very interesting. The author is... Sumitha Bandarkar. I think I've got that right. Sumitha Bandarkar. It began with an explanation of the core principle of positive discipline, which is there are no bad kids, just bad behavior. And Miss Bandarkar says this is the basic premise of the positive discipline concept. Once we as parents recognize that inherently our kids are not bad, they are just behaving badly, the rest of it will slowly fall into place. She goes on. For instance, suppose your child hits another child. Your child may be just hungry, sleepy, tired, or any of the hundred different stress triggers that may have made her act out. In other words, something in your child's environment is influencing your child to behave badly. When we accept that it was just a behavior that was bad and that the child herself is fine, teaching instead of punishing becomes easier. For instance, instead of screaming, why did you do that? I don't understand how you could be so mean to other children sometimes. You'll be in a much better situation to say, Honey, that wasn't the best behavior. We do not hit our friends. Okay, so let's stop right there. This is good stuff, really. And I want to spend some time on this because it illustrates the core difference between a secular humanist worldview and a Christian worldview. First, according to a biblical or Christian worldview, as most of you know, human beings carry a sinful nature into the world with them. If you want more on that, see Psalms 51.5, which reads, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We are, according to Scripture, sinful from the get-go. The sinful nature is so much a part of, of what being human is all about, that we can't get rid of it any more than we could get rid of our skin. According to humanist philosophy, 
Human beings are born in a pure, unblemished state. They're fundamentally good. This is an example of why I and other folks like Pastor John MacArthur at Grace Community Church in California maintain that there is no way to reconcile a Christian worldview with a psychological worldview. They begin in two very different places. They are established, these two worldviews, on two very different premises. The humanist idea, the psychological idea that children are fundamentally good, is a very nice one, but it fails to account, and I emphasize the word nice, it's nice, but it fails to account for why all children do bad things. And it doesn't matter how good by any standard their parents are, how kind they are, how sweet and loving and affectionate and understanding they are, how hard they try to never send their children negative messages about themselves and so on, their kids still do bad things. And their kids begin doing bad things at a very early age. So let's take an example. Let's take the example of a 20-month-old child, and I'll bet, I mean, this is hypothetical, but I'll bet it's actually happened, who has never seen an act of violence, physical or verbal, directed toward him or someone else, or even heard a description of an act of violence. This child, one afternoon at, let's say, 5.30, asks his mother for a cookie. And his mother says, no, sweetheart, you can't have a cookie. It's too close to dinner time. We're going to eat dinner soon. And this child falls on the floor, 20 months old, falls on the floor and begins having what I term a high self-esteem seizure. He's in a rage because the almighty I am, who he believes he is, uh, is being denied what he wants. And at this age, the toddler believes what I want, I deserve to have. This is why tantrums take place. His mother, out of, a, out of the goodness of her heart, goes over to pick him up, bring him to her shoulder, and comfort him and tell him, now, now, sweetheart, it's okay. You can have a cookie after dinner. And while both of her hands are occupied lifting him to her shoulder to comfort him, this child hauls off. Mind you, he's never seen an act of violence, not even representational violence on television. His parents have never, you know, let him watch the 6 o'clock news. Uh, he's never heard a description of violence. His parents have been very careful to protect him from all of that. This child hauls off and unleashes a vicious attack to his mother's face, the face of that person who has, over the past 20 months, showered more love and devotion on him than any other single person in his life. Folks, I have bad news for the positive parenting people. Children are bad. They do bad things because they are bad. Do they have the capacity to do good? Of course, but for that capacity to emerge and express itself creatively, the fact is the child must first be disciplined properly. 
He must be taught the absolute necessity of controlling, constraining his evil, bad self. Think about that. Why do eight of the Ten Commandments tell us what we should not do? God is clearly saying to us, here is a picture of your sinful nature, your bad selves. You need to recognize and you need to control it. There are only two commandments that do not tell us not to do something. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. It's all what we need to control. God is saying, We need to control our sinful natures. Now, it is important for the listener to understand, I'm not advocating for a mean, hurtful, disciplinary approach to children. I am not saying, if you've listened to this show, you have heard me say time and time again that the best discipline is delivered calmly, straightforwardly from people who are composed and who are radiating a complete confidence in the legitimacy of their authority over their children. I am not saying that one should tell children that they're vicious little brats. We need to be loving and caring in our approach to children. And indeed, there are loving, caring ways of letting children know that they have a sinful nature that they need to control. One such way is to punish them. Punishment acknowledges and assigns responsibility, accountability. The message behind punishment is twofold. A, you did something wrong. You didn't just make a mistake. You didn't just make a bad decision, a bad choice. You did something wrong, and you did it, child of mine, with intent. And B, you need to feel bad about the bad thing you did. That's right. You, the child, need to feel guilt. Guilt is not a bad thing. It's gotten a bad name from the secular humanists, from the psychologists, you know, uh, you know, putting people on a guilt trip and all that 60s psychobabble. Uh, remember Jesus's parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector? They both go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee thanks God that he's not like the tax collector who was a reviled member of society, an outcast. The tax collector, on the other hand, confesses his sins, which are legion, pleads with God for forgiveness, and beats his own chest in anguish over his evilness. Who was the guilty one? The tax collector. The Pharisee is prideful, pompous, and self-righteous. He's incapable of guilt. Who does Jesus say is justified? the tax collector. The moral of the story is that admitting guilt is the first step toward being saved. We need salvation because of our sinful nature, and we sure as shoot and can't save ourselves. All right, we're going to stop right there. We're going to take a break and stay with us, folks, because I've got more on this contrast between the secular humanist approach to children and child discipline and the biblical approach. This is important stuff. Stay with us.
Uh, welcome back to the show, folks. This is your host, John Roseman. The program is called Because I Said So. And if you want to join us, our number is 404-419-6499. In the last segment, I was talking about the difference between a secular humanist view of children and a secular humanist approach to the discipline of children and contrasting that with a biblical view of children and a biblical approach to the discipline of children. And I left off by saying that one primary difference is that the secular humanists, because they don't believe in sin, do not believe in guilt. And because we, people who are biblically grounded, people who are grounded in God's word, believe in sin, we do believe in guilt, we do believe that it is good to feel guilty. Now, not that all feelings of guilt are good, but without guilt, you have no need for forgiveness. And if you have no need for forgiveness, you have no need to be saved. So another contrast, we're going to continue this, Another contrast between the secular humanist approach, the psychologically correct approach, if you will, and the biblical approach is that secular humanists hold to a romanticized, idealized concept of children. And people who are biblically grounded have, or should have anyway, a very realistic concept of children. If you hold to a romantic ideal, as the secular humanists do, concerning children, you are going to approach children one way. If you hold to a realistic view of children, you are going to approach their discipline in a completely different way. You're going, I maintain, to see your responsibilities clearly. This is a fact. If you do not have a realistic understanding of children, their sinful nature in particular, then you're not going to know what your assignment is. You're not going to know what God expects of you. You're not going to know what your children need from you. You're going to think all they need, like the Beatles said, is love. Yes, they need love, and they need lots of it. And because they're captive to their sinful natures, like all of us are, That love needs to be unconditional. But they also need, in addition to unconditional love, unequivocal authority. And those two factors or qualities need to be in a state of balance. Unconditional love, unequivocal authority, and one responsibility that adult authority figures must accept is the responsibility of punishing children when they misbehave. Paying a price for one's misbehavior is the same as accepting full responsibility for it, which has got to happen before one can ask for forgiveness. I'll say that again. You have to accept full responsibility for misbehavior, full, unequivocal responsibility for your own misbehavior before you can ask for forgiveness. You have to be in a state of guilt in order to ask forgiveness. You can't be saved without asking for forgiveness. If you don't think you need forgiveness, 
then you don't think you need to be saved. And if you don't think you need to be saved, well, you aren't going to be saved. It's just that simple. So, going back to this very good example of the secular humanist approach to child discipline, the person who wrote this article then says that after making sure the child knows she's not bad, I'm back to this article now, after you make sure that your child knows that she's not bad, remember the child just hit somebody, hit another child. After making sure the child knows she's not bad, she just made a mistake. She gave in to these external factors in the environment that are causing her stress. It was only a mistake, or what the secularists call a bad choice. The parent should then not punish but show the child how to set things right. No, 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 but okay. We'll, we'll just go on with Miss Bondicar for the moment. For example, she says, you could say, that was not a good choice. We don't hit our friends. Do you want to say sorry and make Kaylee feel better? Did you hear that, folks? Do you want to say you're sorry and make Kaylee feel better? Do you want to? The parents should not say, according to Miss Bondicar, you're going to apologize to Kaylee because that, this is, you know, I was trained as a psychologist. I can tell you what, what, what she would say. That takes autonomy away from the child or some such babble. The child needs to arrive at the decision to apologize without being told to do so. Again, if we just give the child some time to think, the child being fundamentally good, will come to the right decision on their own. Oh, me. And then Miss Bondicar says, if your child is not ready to say she's sorry yet, you can continue with, oh, get this, okay, until we're ready to say sorry, we're going to just sit here and read a book. Okay, you heard that right. The child refuses to apologize, and the mother says, okay, until you're ready to say you're sorry, we're just going to sit here and read a book. Wow. Okay, so here's what just happened. A four-year-old hit another child. Instead of being sternly reprimanded and punished and made to apologize, the parent sugarcoats the incident by saying it simply wasn't a good choice. It was just a mistake. Because we don't want this kid to feel bad, any guilt. Oh, no, he just made another kid feel bad, but he should not feel bad. And then if the hitter refuses to apologize, remember the parent asked if he wants to, thus giving the hitter permission to say, no, not really, I don't want to apologize. Then the parent is to read the child a book. Okay, there's no clear message to the child here. There's no punishment. The child hits another child, pays no price. There's no guilt. There's no moral lesson because secular humanism is all about moral relativism. And the parent of the child who hit, after the child says he doesn't feel like apologizing, reads the hitter a story. I mean, that's just crazy. 
This is nothing more than a rehash of the stuff that got us all into this mess called parenting in the first place. I mean, it would be wonderful if that was all it took to get children to control their sinful nature, but it ain't, which is why I think positive discipline is positively dumb. I keep telling people, folks, sometimes proper parenting isn't nice, but you got to do it anyway. You know, this is why people accuse me quite frequently of having this authoritarian, draconian, controlling attitude toward children. Uh, Anyone who has been listening to this program since its inception, uh, and I would hope that anyone who listens to any episode of this program will know that isn't true. Uh, I can't stress enough that proper discipline is not a matter of proper punishment. It is a matter of how you present yourself to your child. It's a matter of conveying a complete confidence in the legitimacy of your authority. Your authority over your children is completely legitimate It is assigned to you by God himself. It cannot be any more legitimate. Get that through your heads and act the role that God wants you to play as his proxy in the raising of your children. Um, You know, in a sense, Ms. Bandekar was correct. This isn't about punishment. But there are times when you have to punish, you have to make a child feel guilty, you have to do that. That is, you have to break through the child's sinful nature in order to accomplish with your child what God wants you to accomplish, which is preparing your child for the kingdom. That is the goal. Folks, uh, We're at the end of another show. I've enjoyed myself. Hope you've enjoyed listening. If you want more on this very psychologically incorrect stuff that I talk about, you can go to my websites, either johnroseman.com or parentguru.com. My books are listed there. If you're interested in the books that most closely fit what I've been talking about over these last two segments, They would be Parenting by the Book and the Well-Behaved Child. Also on my website, you will find my upcoming speaking calendar for the year 2016, at least uh, through the month of May. Uh, I know I'm going to be speaking all over the country right now. I can't tell you off the top of my head where I'll be, but I'm going to be out there in the world And I'd love to see you. If you come to one of my engagements, uh, please let me know that you'll listen to the program. Uh, It it, uh, warms my heart. Our producer on Because I Said So, Rich Rosel, with assistance from Lisa Wysikowski, who is my managing agent in Buffalo, New York. Our calls were handled by Thomas Rosel. And uh, I'm John Roseman, psychologist, syndicated columnist, author, public speaker, radio talk show host. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us again at the same time, 5 o'clock Central on Saturday afternoon. Why? Because I said so.
from Creative Genius Productions and the American Family Radio Network. Take care. God bless.